Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on State of the World, how people in China view Taiwan's election. Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories up close where they're happening. It's Thursday, January 11th. I'm Greg Dixon. In a few minutes, one man in Gaza continues to make art amid war. But first, there's a major election in Taiwan this weekend. The government in China is watching this election very closely because Beijing considers Taiwan part of China and wants to bring it under their control. But what do people in China think about the election? NPR's John Ruich in Beijing has been finding out. In Taiwan last year, a Netflix series called Wave Makers made a splash. The show focuses on a fictional presidential campaign in Taiwan and the issue of sexual harassment. It gave the Me Too movement there a big boost. In China, there is no Netflix. But many here have found ways to watch the show and have been impressed by what it depicts. Mary is a mother of two living in the city of Wuhan. Like others we spoke to in China for this story, she did so on the condition that we don't use her full Chinese name because the topic of Taiwan is so sensitive. She says she envies people on the self-ruled island. They can participate in elections and fight for their own rights, things like that. In one of the show's most widely quoted lines, a senior party member offers support to a staffer. Let's not just let this go, okay, she says, encouraging her to push for justice in the face of sexual harassment. But a high school junior in China named Hannah, who we talked with, likes that line for another reason. For me, it's encouragement to not give up hope for a democratized China. The whole show, she says, is inspiring in that regard. When I hear the language that I use every day to openly and honestly talk about things like the presidency, democracy, and ballots, it's really intriguing. And I feel like, actually, we could do this here too. China's government has different plans. It's refused to renounce the use of force to seize Taiwan if necessary. This week, a Chinese rocket carrying a satellite flew over southern Taiwan, triggering jitters just days before the vote. There are no reliable polls, but many in China are no doubt on board with the notion that Taiwan needs to be brought back into the fold, and that elections probably don't help. In a random sampling of people on the street in Beijing, though, it's not hard to find people like Jackie, a freshman at one of the country's top universities. It has almost no impact on my life. It's just something we might chat about after a meal or something. At a kebab restaurant nearby, NPR met two guys named Bob and Alex. They're math majors in college. They say they just don't have time to pay much attention to the election. I don't really know anything about the two parties this year, so naturally I don't have any expectations. The topic doesn't come up with friends either, even those from Taiwan, the two men say. I have a lot of Taiwanese friends, and we just don't talk about sensitive topics. We all think it's annoying and don't want it to affect our friendship. Still, others are quietly thinking about the election. In a tiny bookstore in Beijing, 
Huiye says she thinks it's good that Taiwan has democratic elections, and she's interested. She likes Taiwan's Democratic Progressive Party, whose candidate, current Vice President William Lai, is loathed by the Chinese government. The current ruling party, I think they're good. They stick to their principles. They stick to their democratic values. Taiwan, she says, seems like a more open and tolerant society. And she says she hopes one day the mainland can be more like Taiwan. That's John Ruich in Beijing. You can hear more coverage of the election in Taiwan from NPR host Elsa Cheng on the Consider This podcast. Listen on the NPR app or wherever you get your podcasts. And now the story of one man surrounded by the chaos of war continuing to make art. He's one of tens of thousands of Palestinians in Gaza who've been displaced by the Israeli offensive and are now living in the overcrowded southern town of Rafah on the Egyptian border. For most people there, daily life is about trying to survive. With NPR's producer in Gaza, Anas Baba, Nina Kravinsky brings us the story of an artist in Rafah still creating. Basil Amakusi's house in the northern city of Beit Lahia was destroyed on the second day of the war. He knows this because his neighbor texted him a picture on October 8th of the destruction. He and his family had just fled. Since then, his family's been displaced and lives in a tent. He's created makeshift rooms by hanging blankets from the ceiling, one with the FC Barcelona logo, as noted by NPR producer Anas Baba. Maybe he's a real Madrid, maybe he's a Barcelona fan, but what we do know here is one thing. That this man, even inside of his tent, is an artist. Seated on a black mat on the ground, Al-Makusi paints two long human faces side by side in black watercolor. My primary concern is my children and how to provide them with a decent life, or at least a part of the life I wished for them. But I found that my soul is still attached to art. Attached to art, even as he wakes up at dawn to line up with hundreds of others for jugs of water, even in this cramped tent where he lives surrounded by other displaced people. He opens a sketchbook to show more of the art he's created since he's been displaced. Some of his works depict the fear he sees on the faces of the strangers around him. Others show busy, chaotic, more abstract scenes of rubble and airstrikes. My hand would be drawing on paper while my mind was seeing the destroyed houses around Gaza and all these areas. They all merged into one scene in my mind because the destruction of these houses was similar. Back home, Al-Makusi has a studio full of his paintings where he and his family sheltered at the beginning of the war. But it's directly next to Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza City, the site of a massive Israeli military raid and firefights last month. Israel says Hamas uses the hospital and the tunnels beneath it. Al-Makusi suspects his life's work was destroyed in the raid. The biggest problem in our lives as artists, it's not just our homes or our lives that are lost through the destruction of our homes, but also our work. He managed to find sketchbooks in Rafa, and he had brought paints, just a few different colors, most of which he stopped using. When I looked at my painting, I realized that I was deceiving myself. Because these colors do not reflect the destruction and reality surrounding us. So now he paints and draws in mostly black and gray. In the future, if God grants us life and we continue to live, I can paint them on a larger canvas. But for now, to keep it in my memory, 
I need to document it in sketches. Document it because he says that's the only way to release the anger he feels about the destruction of his home. I walk on the streets and every face I see is angry. Men, women, young, old, everyone's faces show anger. There is no beauty left to see in Gaza. Reporting with NPR's producer in Rafa, Anas Baba, I'm Nina Kravinsky, NPR News in Tel Aviv. And for more coverage from all sides of this conflict, go to npr.org slash updates. That's the State of the World from NPR. Thanks for listening. See you again soon. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. (laughs) Dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Stearns & Foster. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted for irresistible comfort with indulgent memory foam and ultra-conforming IntelliCoils for your most comfortable sleep. Learn more at stearnsandfoster.com. This advertisement comes from our paid sponsor, Fundrise. High interest rates mean that real estate assets are available at a discount compared to previous valuations. The Fundrise flagship fund plans to expand its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. Add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio at fundrise.com NPR. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund before investing. Read the prospectus at fundrise.com flagship.